Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, people, you know that sound that is the unfiltered band. Yes, it means, in fact, it is another edition of Unfiltered on October Unfiltered. We are live on a Sunday, noon Eastern time, or at whatever time you're listening, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts, or across social media, live at noon Eastern daily through the conclusion of the World Series in the 2022 season on my YouTube, which you can find in my bio at Casey Stern, where, of course, is the best way to jump on board the Unfiltered Revolution. Get your merch at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Network, and much, much more. You can get Believe's YouTube as well, where we are live, and you can chat three ways as we recap games one and two of the World Series and look ahead We travel to the streets of Philadelphia where uh, nothing going to be free, but freedom indeed for all the voices and the crazy and what's been the best atmosphere so far here in the postseason. Our thanks to the Unfiltered Band, as always, and thanks to you for getting on board. we got a lot to cover on the show today. My guy Mike Stanton will be here in just a couple of minutes. We'll chat a bunch about what happened in Game 2 and transpired there. We'll look ahead to Game 3. We're a surprise to some, but yes, because of the throw on the throw day, if you will, from Ranger Suarez, he'll get game four. It'll be Thor or Syndergaard in game three as the series returns to Philadelphia. Lance McCullers, who had the celebration situation, so he had game four in the Yankees series back in that game three spot. He'll get the start for Dusty Baker and the Astros, who got quite a start from Framber Valdez yesterday but before we get started follow all of that three times fast we tell you we as always are presented by our good friends at bet online basketball's back bet online remains your number one source all your sports betting needs this season latest odds team matchup info player news game trends over at bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information bet online's got live betting free contests and giveaways all season long always the fastest and easiest way to bet your favorite sports and events whether it's nfl NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf. It's simple. Head over to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your reward. That's BetOnline where the game starts. And we get started looking back at game number two. We talked about this in the couple of days leading up after Aaron Nola was announced as the game one starter that, yes, in fact, Rob Thompson would be uber aggressive, more aggressive than he'd ever seen a manager in a game one, knowing he had the dominance of Zach Wheeler in game two. But it was something we talked about yesterday for about three minutes in our hour plus show that ended up being a little less than three minutes and just three, four pitches into the game yesterday and playing out to be the difference. And that's when Steve Phillips joined me and we talked about the fact that when you look at Wheeler, and I've seen this in covering, you know, all these World Series over the last couple of decades, anytime you get somebody who's hot and dominant and throws strikes, especially when they can get that fastball and get ahead and counts, we always have that conversation. And I brought up Cliff Lee yesterday for the Philly fans and the Ranger fans listening. Remember those years in 2010, 2011, where he was dominant, all those performances of seven innings or more and 10 strikeouts and no walks. And how are you going to face him? And how many times the conversation was, well, we're just going to we're going to take pitches, be patient and run up his pitch count. We're going to make him get the ball up. And those things don't work when guys are dominant and when they're effective and when they're efficient with that fastball, especially early in account. They just don't because then they put you in the driver's seat where they want what Valdez did to the Philly hitters yesterday. Use the breaking ball, although be it not many have the one that he could spin up there and did yesterday. We'll get into that. But they're able to do it in such a way that now you're on the defensive throughout every at-bat in the game. Well, the Astros were not going to allow that to happen. They were going to jump on Wheeler's fastball. They're going to jump on pitches early, and they did so. And that's why you sat there four pitches into a game, three doubles and two runs, and a, you know, a partridge in a pear tree and all that stuff uh, because the Astros had just decided they were not going to wait it out. They'd seen enough with Wheeler in the highlights of what he'd done really all season and really in a Phillies uniform since day one, but of course in the postseason. Been so dominant and so effective and so much around the zone. When guys know that you're going to throw around the plate and you're going to be around the plate, even if you're not middle-middle and missing spots, if they see a fastball, they're going to hunt it, they're going to ambush, and that's what you saw early in that game yesterday. And it was the difference in the game. You know, obviously we saw a 5 nothing lead and Verlander handed it, as I said yesterday, it's the equivalent of Jim McMahon sitting there with a five-touchdown lead, you would figure, and the 85 Bears defense, 
when you've got the bullpen that the Astros have and a Verlander who's a Hall of Famer, but they blew that lead. Well, yesterday, not the same problem. There's a reason why Framber Valdez led the American League in innings. There's a reason why he had the quality start tour with the T-shirts that the Astros have and why I've said on this show over the last couple of weeks many times, if you're joining me for the first time, that I think he's been probably the most underrated player, pitcher, or position player in the American League this season because he's been able to so efficiently go deep into games. Dusty can trust him and not to a fault, and not because he's always brilliant. You go back to the Yankees series a week ago, even in that game where he had two errors on a play that put him in a spot where he's down 3 nothing, he was able to settle down so quickly. He's got so much poise, and you saw it again yesterday, and that's what you really got to marvel about with Valdez. Here's a guy who gave up five runs, couldn't get out of the third inning in either of his opportunities in a World Series a year ago, but he has calmed his emotions to such a way that the feel of his pitches and his ability to get ahead and counts and to use the breaking ball at will pretty much against hitters has been so, so effective because he's been able to channel those emotions to calm down, to settle in, and to be poised in those moments. And that's what's so impressive about Valdez really over the course of the whole year and what we've seen so far in the postseason is that continued poise. If he gives up a base runner, gets into a spot where all of a sudden you think there's maybe trouble, maybe an umpire called from behind the plate very good last night, but maybe in other situations where you're not getting what you want and we see pitchers go awry and go up the deep end, we've seen a Framber Valdez be able to lock back in, not have any issues whatsoever. And, you know, really, you've got to be so, so impressed. So, so impressed. Because the thing about the Astros is that they have the depth of a staff where their bullpen in all different areas can hurt you. And we've seen that with the likes of the Abreus and the Presleys and the Stanics and the Monteros, who was terrific yesterday, even though he had an issue or two. And a couple of those were on swings from Schwarber that we thought might be gone. One of those, a foul ball. And another that just went to the wall with an opportunity with a runner on to cut that lead in half, which he was not able to do in that eighth inning. But they have had such success with that bullpen that you kind of forget about that it's not just Justin Verlander and then a bunch of guys. It's Framber Valdez. That is a two-headed monster. That is a guy who is another ace. It, you, you just got to be just extremely, extremely impressed with the way that he has pitched. Terrific. He was just great. So congrats to the Astros. They're able to even this series. Get up at what a piece. We'll talk to Mike Stanton about that along the way here during the show. You could chat three ways. Very simple. If you're on Twitter or on YouTube, you just pop up in the box. I can even do it with you as we go, just to show you right here. And we'll get your thoughts on the air. Bring them on. Get your reactions and questions and all those comments and all those sorts of things. Yeah, Mike Stanton today, tomorrow, uh, big show. We've got Mark Feinstein on the program. Billy King will join me and Jim Duquette all on tomorrow's show as we get ready for game three in Philly. On the other side yesterday for the Philadelphia Phillies, you know, look, when you make changes and you're trying, they don't have not had to face a lot of lefties down the stretcher in the postseason. They haven't had to go with that lineup a lot. Uh, you, you get Stott out, you put in Sosa, you, you marshes out, you put in Veerling. This is sometimes what happens with these lefty, lefty, righty, righties. Because I'm going to give it to you where I sit, okay? Bryson stopped playing every game. This dude playing every day. I don't care what his numbers are against lefties. I don't care if he hasn't had a hit against lefties in his whole career. It wouldn't bother me. Talked about this a couple of days ago with Alex Cora when he was on. But the World Series, the Red Sox won in 2018. If you forget, Devers was a guy who did not face lefties at all. And then all of a sudden, he turned that thing around in the World Series. Devers is facing lefties. Stephen Pierce was a guy who was just there to face lefties, never faced righties. There he is against lefties, righties, and venditties and putting together an MVP run in a World Series because you have to go on field. And you watch Bryson Stott yesterday, and look, it didn't make a difference in the game. They didn't win the game. I get it. But you watch the way that Stott handled his AB when he got back into the game and came in, and it was just ho-hum, another 10-pitch at bat. Exactly what we saw in an AB against Verlander, which was as underrated as any in that game. If you remember the inning where the Phillies cut the lead to 5-3, to three, Stott had the 10-pitch at bat. He ends up making an out, but all of a sudden, Verlander had had to throw 30 pitches in an inning, had run up the pitch count, was getting a little bit more tired, had had to have those max effort 
you know, incidents, if you will, that the pitchers sometimes that pitch count could be a number, but also in the wear and tear on the arm is more in those moments. Stott had a great AB. Then the next inning, they end up getting him for another two and, and chasing him out the door. Bryson's not playing every game for me. It's not an anti you know, you know, Mudo Sosa issue. You know, Reese Hoskins should have had that play at first base yesterday. I don't care. Look, I, I, I love the story that Reese Hoskins has put together. I think it's fantastic. I think what he's done has been great. All right? Not taking anything away from it at all. Not. But if we're being fair, when you look at that spot and that throw from Sosa, that's a play you got to make. As a major league first baseman in a regular season on May 10th, you got to make that play, let alone in the postseason. That play has got to be made. It's got to be made. I, I mean, look, you can't, you just can't get in that spot. You can't. And Hoskins, that's why they've been killing him. I mean, look, even with the at-bats having issues and strikeouts, you know, they understand the feast or famine nature of the way he hits, but it's the fielding that's been the biggest problem and the inability because of Bryce and the situation with his health and not being back out there yet to, to have, you know, not have the DH to work with because Reese Hoskins is a DH. Yeah, DH, you don't care. But you need a first baseman to save you in the infield, not put you in a spot. And I'm sorry, that that is not on Sosa. That throw is way good enough to not have an issue with Reese Hoskins not making that play. You've got to make that play. You cannot give additional opportunities to a team like the Houston Astros. We saw it with Garrett Cole. Bader has the issue in the outfield with Judge. Boom, McCormick next that bat a two-run home run. You cannot give extra opportunities. You, you just can't. Hatwood Severino sets up the Bregman at bat. You can go forever. And, and obviously, they've been doing this for years. You can't have that happen. And the Phillies in that spot where the margin of error was so small, trying to keep the gap where it was, you know, had problems of their own. Uh, no problem here getting analysis on game one and two. We look ahead to game three. Our buddy Mike Stanton kind enough to join me for a few, and I appreciate that. Mike, thanks for doing this, especially on a Sunday, buddy. How are you? Hey, no problem, Casey. I'm doing well, man. Uh, let, let me start here with, with this. When you look at Framber Valdez and you've watched his ascension, can you take us through how impressive it is, how much he's become poised now in handling his emotions comparatively, Mike, to what used to happen to him? And I know everybody points out the two World Series games, and this happens to a lot of young pitchers, right, new in the league when they're first getting opportunities. But you used to physically, even from a TV, you could see at home for the Astros fans oh. that the emotions were not where you want. How difficult is it what he's been able to kind of change up with that and how poised he is now? Well, it's truly it's truly remarkable just simply because if it wasn't for that maturation process in, in controlling his emotions, he would never be anywhere close to what he is today. You know, I've said since pretty much since day one, but right, definitely over the last couple of years, this dude's got the best stuff on this pitching staff. When you look at the whole picture, the movement, the velocity, um, I mean, he's basically now he's he's added a couple pitches uh, to his arsenal. But he's basically a two pitch pitcher, and it's a, it's a unique it's a it's a unique uh, uh, duo because it's a sinking fastball curveball. But both are elite pitcher uh, pitches. But he's also very very emotional, you know. Uh, and and that was something that he really struggled with early in his career. He's a new father, you know. He's gotten married. He's a new father. I mean, those are all things that that you know kind of push your maturity forward and you still see him get emotional on the mound i like the fact that there's occasions that you'll even see him smile he did it last night on a pitch that was really close late in the game and you know he kind of gave a little grin like man i thought i thought i had that one but <laughs> you know but the other side of it that's why you'll see uh, maldonado go out that's why you'll see uh you know pena uh, or not Pena, I'm sorry, Guriel come in from first base or Bregman come in for third, or you'll see Josh Miller come out when it doesn't really seem like it's the right situation to have him out there, but they all know Fromber, and you know he does, he can't really hide it. You know, his facial expressions, his body mannerisms tell you everything if he's getting a little too revved up, but he's done a really nice job all season long, especially with that long uh, quality game streak that he had setting the setting the record it's it just shows how far he has come and and the stuff has always been off the chart elite 
I talked about this yesterday. Mike Stanton joined us here in October Unfiltered. I talked about this yesterday, and it played out to even a larger extent than I thought. But how many times I've seen, and I use Cliff Lee as a reference point for the Philly fans, going back to when in you know, 2010, 2011, you know, he had come into the postseason and was so hot throwing strikes with the fastball, the way Wheeler's been, really with yeah. all his pitches and how effective. And how much the only success you ever see against guys like that is not the old adage of, well, let's let's wait till they get the ball up or let's be patient, run the pitch count because they're 0-2 and you're playing. That's what that's what teams do wrong. It's yeah. not amp- if you have to switch and turn the tables as a pitcher. Take me into Wheeler's mind in that first few at bats. And just how difficult that was for him because they had turned the tide on the approach he's used to from the Astros and everybody else against him versus what he saw in the first three, four pitches getting ambushed with three doubles, Mike. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, the Astros had two runs on the board in four pitches. Um, and, and you saw what the Astros wanted to do. They were going to attack early. They were going because, you, you know, Zach's stuff is so good. If you get yeah. behind an account, you are in big-time trouble. Now, I did not think, especially after about the second or third inning, maybe the fourth inning, uh, the fastball velocity just wasn't there last night. He was not – I don't think he was feeling his best. But I also think he changed his game plan. And I and I questioned that a little bit during the game just simply because, you know, this is a big, powerful – you know, he's got power, power stuff. And, you know, we saw him kind of go away from that power. I mean, you know, they put the – Fox put the the numbers of his pitch usage. And and I know, it, you know, it's 36% this, uh, you know, four-seam fastball, 28%, two-seam fastball, whatever the numbers were. Uh, you got to put those together and just say fastball. So he was basically a 60% fastball guy, and he didn't come anywhere close to that last night. I know the Astros hit fastballs, but – Zach Wheeler's got a special fastball. And I, I thought that he kind of he kind of tried, I don't want to say pitch away from contact. It looked like he was a little tentative. I, I just thought that he went away from what makes Zach Wheeler so good, which is establishing that. He's kind of an old school type pitcher, establishing yes. that fastball. That's right. And then going to the good breaking balls. And that's why you ambush him early because you know he pitches that way. And to your right. point, he was a couple of ticks down on the fastball. I I wondered. Like you, you know, you, you play in and you're a pitcher, so you would know way more than me. But I'm thinking, you know, hey, extra day. Okay, is that have something to do with the other thing I'm thinking is, you know, after game one, the way the bullpen was used, he knows and probably has been told, hey, look, we're riding you today. I got to go seven. Yeah. Was he trying to pace himself a little bit with the fastball? Is that something that gets in a pitcher's head at all, Mike? when they know the bullpen's been used the way it was in game one. And I'm sure Rob Thompson said to him in some way, even if it wasn't verbally, but just, hey, you understand, you got to go deep into this game. Is that something that can mess with a guy a little bit and make him maybe pace more than he should? Well, you're talking about a guy that hasn't been in this situation a whole lot, so it could. Actually, Rob Thompson probably didn't say anything. Pitching coach probably didn't say anything. But he knew, I mean, right? Zach is, a, is, is, is an intelligent guy. You know, he has been around, even though he hasn't been in this situation before. You know, he knows that, okay, the bullpen was exposed last night. We had to use all of our dudes. We've got a long series. And this is something that I'm going to pay attention to through the rest of this series for both pitching staffs, but especially Philly, because they don't have the depth in the bullpen that the Astros do. Can you any? It doesn't matter how good your stuff is. Any pitcher can suffer from overexposure. Just ask Dave Roberts back in the 2017 um, uh, World Series when they started running relievers out like crazy right at the beginning, uh, beginning of the series. And by the time you got to the end, no Pedro, no no Baez, no Maeda in that seventh game. Neither. That's right. They were exposed, tired, fatigue, and exposure. That's not what you want to go for when you're in a pivotal game. So I think that Zach just know, knew the situation, and maybe he was. Maybe he was trying to, you know, trying to extend himself a little bit. But in my opinion, what I would want him to do is I would want him to be more aggressive in the zone, try and get a few quick outs instead of kind of pitching around the strike zone, pitching around contact. That's how your pitch count gets jacked up. 
You know, we talked about this uh, yesterday, but, you know, Jose Altuve had an at-bat where he gets the pop fly in the ninth inning in game one and thought it was an out, was angry at himself. It drops. And sometimes that's all you need for a hitter. I mean, you know how hitters are, uh, you right? Oh, so it's just yeah. all of a sudden you get that, like if something good happened, right? Maybe, maybe luck's going my way. I didn't do it right, but it happened. And then yesterday we saw the Altuve we're used to, where he's shooting it, you know, up in the zone the other way when nobody should hit that. He's he's aggressive. He looked confident. How much did you see in the body language a different Altuve not caught in between like Mike last night at the plate? You know, Casey, it's incredible because we've obviously been watching this for years and years and years. And and Jose is a streaky hitter, just like every hitter is. But really for Jose, it's all about timing. If he can, if he can even get his timing close. The dude is a beast. There's no doubt about it. But he gets anxious. He get he wants to hit. And you see him, there's sometimes, I mean, all the way through the postseason, it was like as soon as the pitcher were, was breaking his hands, before he threw the baseball, Jose was swinging. And that's exactly the opposite where you want to be. I thought last night, and it's something that he said they've been working on his timing, is you know, let the ball travel. See the ball first. He's so quick. He's got such great bat-to-ball skills. There's no reason for it. But – Listen, even with all the experience that he has, the game gets fast for everyone, especially when you haven't had success. Even though the team had been winning, he hadn't had success. You know, he's putting more pressure on himself. The problem with that with hitting, the problem with that with pitching is that's going to make you earlier. That anxiety, and it really doesn't matter what the emotion is. If it's anxiety, if it's anger, it all has the same approach. And it makes you try and do more than you can, and you end up being either – Quicker with your delivery. I thought that was one of the problems mm-hmm. with uh, with Verlander. He was so good early. Uh, when things stop start happening, especially when he the, he misplayed the ball that was back to him, he thought that should have been a double play. You know, you saw his tempo pick up. You saw he you saw he just got you know it was fast going. It, the, the game got fast in his head, and it showed up physically also. Uh, he lost control of the high fastball, and that was really. The, the, the key to it. And, and Altuve is the same way. And any player could do this, regardless of what the experience is. If you, if you, the game gets fast, you get anxious, you get excited, you get mad. A lot of times that shows up in your delivery, in your swing, in your approach. That's not a good thing. Rob Thompson's done an amazing job managing this team. And you could pick apart any manager, any World Series, any game. We know that doesn't work out that way. I'm just curious your thought on this. And, you know, it, look, it's easier. In hindsight now, because, you know, Veerling in center field gets caught flat-footed on a ball where Alvarez gets the third, and that shouldn't have happened. But Veerling hasn't been playing center field, right? Marsh has been playing there. Uh, yeah. And Mundo Sosa makes a throw that, I'm sorry, I know about this before he came in. I like Reese Hoskins. A person is he's, he's impossible not to like. Uh, he got to make that play. I mean, that is that is not a tough pick at first base. That, that might as well be considered a ball in the air. That's sure. an easy play. Like that. That's an easy play, that's, Mike. That's a play that has to be made. And here's the thing. I didn't hear I didn't hear Smolty talk about this. The new style of fielding now is to sweep the glove forward. Instead of trying to pick it, you sweep the glove forward. And that's what Reese tried to do. He just hit the ground. You know, he just hit the ground and he couldn't couldn't continue towards shortstop with his glove. And that's how that's how first basemen's uh, that's how first basemen are are taught now to pick balls at first. But even even you know, Correa used to do it also, especially on the forehand. He would charge the ball and really sweep the glove forward towards the batter to reduce uh, to to reduce the angle of the bounce. And and it, it's a very effective way. But if you hit the ground, you're not going to be able to sweep. Yeah, and look, and, and again, that's not on Sosa. I'm not blaming him on that play. I mean, clearly we know that. Well, I mean, been it made. wasn't a great throw. No, it, it was not. Brutal throw. Either. It was right. It, it, it's a it's a play where your first baseman, you know, the job most of the time is to pick up your infielders. That's got to happen. Right. But the the point is that I wanted to ask you about this because I felt this way when I saw the lineup, and then it definitely played out this way. Bryson Stott plays every day for me. I, I don't look. I, I've watched this guy develop. He's an impressive kid. He yeah. had that ten pitch at bat against Verlander in Game One in the inning where they cut it five to three. Now he made out. But he just continued to extend Verlander and work him in such a way. Yesterday, he comes in off the bench, 10-pitch at-bat again. Are, are you sitting there thinking, hey, look, if Valdez gets again in this series, I, 
I don't, I'm just very surprised to not see Stott out there. To me, Veerling, I don't. I wouldn't have put him out there either. That lineup has scored a ton of runs. It's had no issues. I thought yeah. they were a little bit too much matching up. What was your take on, especially with Stott not having him in that game yesterday? Well, it's really the way Rob Thompson has done has, has done it all season. I mean, you're not he really other than you know I thought he managed with some serious urgency in game one. He had a chance to 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 win yep. one of the first two baseball games at you know here in Houston, and that's really what they're trying to do to get back to Philly one to one. And they did exactly what they needed to do. So it's not something that he has done. He has done differently. And and listen, I mean, what is your manager's job? Your manager's job is to set your players up to succeed. And that's what he's trying to do. Stott's still a very young player. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience. He's talented. Uh, and I understand what you're saying. But that's like the way I, he looks, Mike. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah, just watching him yeah, at the point. He's in the, he's in the moment right now embracing it. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I think that, you know, Maybe Rob over this off day, getting back to Philly, takes a look at all this. Go, you know what? That dude is putting putting together some pretty good at bats. Maybe we need to get him in there a little bit more. But this is how Rob has has done it the whole time. So you know, I understand. I understand you don't want to do anything different. You know, that was one of the questions I had for Dusty in Game One. Was you know he put in a starting pitcher in Luis Garcia when you still had one of your main leverage relievers Stanek in your bullpen whether you whether you like the the off speed stuff or not relieving's not really that easy yeah well and, you know it's it's a fair and a good way to get into this cuz Ranger Suarez certainly knows that but he's made it look easy cuz he's gone from reliever to a starter he was great in game 1 i mean look that was an underrated at bat he comes in alvarez had two doubles and two at bats against him he strikes out alvarez but now it's going to be Syndergaard in game 3 i guess to give suarez an extra day cuz he came out of the pen um What's your take? You know, this is it, what a fascinating you know, the Syndergaard thing is so fascinating because you think about the last time when we saw him in a World Series and who he was and who he was going to be and who he was supposed to be and now kind of who he is. Putting him in that spot, were you surprised even with Suarez throwing? Because I am to not see him in Game Three, day off. Hey, look, Suarez could still go, maybe just five, but I'll go to all the horses again. Are you surprised to see Syndergaard in Game Three? I am not, only because. They won one of the first two games. I think if they're down 2-0, I think Suarez is pitching. You know, I, I think that's that's kind of the the fluid situation that you're in. Because, you know, Syndergaard, and listen, the Astros have some experience against Syndergaard. Yeah, it's not recently. It's earlier in the season when he was still with the Angels. Uh, but, you know, and Syndergaard has the ability to go out there and get a lot of ground balls. I mean, he is not the same pitcher that he used to be. This is a This is a sinker ball pitcher now. Um, which if he's got his location, he's got his movement, okay, fine. If he doesn't, the Astros very well be able to, to square some balls up against him. But I, I really think this was more of a situation that Suarez would be pitching if we needed him to pitch, meaning down 2-0. But I think now that they did win game one, you know, go ahead and give him that extra. Make sure he's fully rested. Now you can go forward. And the worst case scenario is he's pitching down in the series two one. Let me hit you with two more. Albert gets in on uh, the chat and he says, do you like McCullers starting game three instead of Javier? Do you expect, Mike, that that would have been the case without the snafu with the celebrating that McCullers would have started game three against the Yankees? The only reason it was switched up was that reason. And this is just kind of the way it is that he is their game three guy. What's your take on his start in game three? I think so. I, I think the same situation. I mean, McCullers has the experience. He's going to, you know, you, you know what he's going to do. He's going to spin the ball like crazy. You know, he's going to throw, you know, maybe 30% fastballs. Everything else is going to be slider curve changeup. And those are three uh, very good, uh, very good off-speed pitches. Fastball command is always a problem. Um, but I, I think this was probably the plan. I mean, he is the veteran. Uh, he has been throwing the ball well. He's the hard luck loser in the last series. But so I think this was the plan. Uh, you put Javier in the four spot. You know, Christian has been so good, and he's he's one of those rare talents that, you know, he can have extra off days and still go out and have his command. And I think you want to get Lance in there, McCullers, as much as you can, just simply because close to on schedule as you can. Because sometimes the command is suspect. 
So I think there's a couple different things, and I don't think you could go wrong with either one. But I'll tell you what, Christian Javier is not somebody that I would want my lineup to face. That dude is just nothing but filth. Yeah, I mean, look, you could argue that two game four starters may outpitch the game three starters. Very good, very likely that could happen in this case. But with the off day, and who knows what with rain as well, you're going to have some rested bullpens here for both of these game three starters. Uh, let me ask you one more, and I'll let you run. I appreciate all this time. I, I, you know, I love when being around the game, even covering it for two decades, when something happens and you're like, I didn't even know that rule or you know, the yeah. baseball's weird that way. This Maldonado thing with the Pujols bat yesterday that mm -hmm. came out where he borrows Albert's bats and all of a sudden now you're grandfathered and Albert can use it. But I never heard of that before. At, at, had you known anything about when this is happening? I'm like, what? I thought it was. And look, it's Tom Verducci. He's terrific at his job. I'm like, there's got to be something wrong here because that can't make sense. Did you know anything about that rule going into yesterday? Yeah, what's wrong is social media. That's what's wrong. You, I mean, that's oh, well, uh, that's, well yeah, that's a hard in general. Yeah, yes, that's fact. <laughs> yes, the bane, the bane of all evil is social media. Because yes, now the uh, Astros cheated but, and Maldonado I, took a bat you know, and all and that. But calling him a cheater that he did this, he did that. Come on, I mean, I mean, we are it's really, crazy. really. Uh, you know, grasping for straws here. And, you know, it's it, and I, nothing against Martin Maldonado, but I mean, this is an obscure rule that no one really even knew about, including probably Martin, you know, he's no, just, he hey, he's got a buddy. That's the guy's right. a hall of famer. That's I'm trying right. to get some good juju let, here. Let me rub that let off on me. Right, head. Mike? Right? right? I mean, but you, had you ever heard, I had never heard of anything like that. Grandfathered in rules because first of all, like, this is what I'm thinking as I'm hearing this. Maybe it's a blessing this happened so that Major League Baseball can get rid of this rule. Because why would you, you allow it or enforce it? What's the grandfather? I right. mean, because you're, you're talking about something that could absolutely directly affect. Because what's the difference between a line drive and a home run? It's like an eighth of an inch. I mean, it is the tiniest of margins that you create a little bit more. You get underneath the ball a little bit more, create some backspin, the ball goes out of the ballpark. But I think this is just one of those things. And, and listen, the Astros, you got to wear it, you know, because what's happened in the past. But this is just, I mean, this is just absurd that oh, this is actually even a conversation. Dumb. Uh, the whole thing is dumb. And again, look, I don't blame it for being reported because it's weird and it is what it is. And, you know, Tom's going to do his job. But but the whole idea, you've seen this as well as I, as I have. You know, guys at batting cages are asking anyone on another team, let alone a guy like Pujols, what are you doing when you're four? They go four for five. You want to wear the guy's socks. You right. Right? right? Find out what's let going on. Oh, he, he got Albert Pujols is at bats and now he's suddenly cheating. I, you know, right. yeah. I'm I'm with you. Mike, appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks so much, especially on a Sunday for doing this, buddy. Thank you. Anytime. Casey, have a have a good day. Get me Thank back you. on before the World Series is over. Everybody have a happy and safe Halloween. Yes, yes, exactly. And good weather, hopefully, for your trick-or-treating. Appreciate you, Mike. Thank you. There he is, Mike Stanton, joining me here on October Unfiltered. You can get in on the chat. We'll chat with you the rest of the way here three ways. This whole thing with Maldonado, I want to get into this. Yes, because I... I <laughs> Last night after the game, did a radio hit in Philly, and it was on Jody's show. And, yeah, I'm not blaming him, but he's sitting there asking about it because he's on the air during the game, and fans are apparently calling him about, like, the Astros cheated, and this is they're doing what they always do. This Look, I get it. When you do what the Astros did, I'm not at all excusing anything that happened. Please understand. I'm not excusing anything that they did years ago. Not. All right? I'm not. I'm not telling you they didn't get away with it. They did with the immunity. I'm not telling you they didn't get away with it because they didn't have, you know, they had the cardboard cutouts and how because of COVID, and I've talked about this with the pandemic for years now, they got away with it tenfold because they didn't have to deal with all of those things and all of those things that would have been screamed at them and, and everything else. Because cutter, cardboard cutouts not screaming at the Astros, all right? No matter how much poo-poo, sorry, boo-hoo, people have been upset with you since now for five years. I get all that. I'm not taking any of that away. I'm not telling you that it's not warranted for what they did then. And when I say they, I don't mean Verlander, the guys who pitched on the team. I'm talking about the hitters. I get it. I get it, right? A lot of guys have had their comeuppance. A lot have not. 
But this situation with Maldonado is nothing having anything to do with that and is extraordinarily dumb. And to Mike's point, people on social media, for the most part, are extraordinarily dumb. All they want to do is is motivate towards negativity anyway because they feel terrible about themselves. They got nothing better to do. I know it. I know it. I dealt with in the last 24 hours, you know, Kyrie, you know, wrapping out his mouth about nonsense, speaking of, you know, just spewing garbage, making one comment in about a tweet, and I could literally roll up here and, and sit it in a chat for you like I'm sitting there and we're, we're set back, I don't know how many decades in this country, how many anti-Semitic comments I've gotten in 24 hours. No joke. They're right out there for a day. Go look at my timeline. And I'm telling you, like people on Twitter crazy anyway about anything. So I get that. But I want people to understand sometimes you got to get to common sense. Think about common sense here with this. All right. Common sense. It's Albert freaking Pujols. Right. So Maldonado's a friend and he Albert Pujols is Albert Pujols. Hey, you should try these at bats. This isn't, you know, a guy in a, in a you know clubhouse you know, with Balco, this isn't, this isn't what that is. This is Albert Pujols, and he's Albert Pujols. You want to try his bats, his socks, his breathing regimen, his yoga exercises, whatever you can do, he's Albert freaking Pujols, people. Are you kidding me? Well, come on, man. Maldonado didn't know this rule. No one, no one knew this rule. I'm covering the game 20 years. I'm telling you, when I heard this, I was like, Am I dumb? Because I never heard about this. First of all, it's stupid. The idea that you're grandfathered in, I mean, that is how Albert Pujols can go use a bat that you're going to tell me is illegal, right? Now now what? We're going to say, oh, well, take away 700 home runs and all this other stuff. First of all, if you go read into it, most of it is about a bat that may break versus a bat that doesn't break. It's not about a cork bat. It's not a spike bat. It's not cheating. It's not any of that. These are regulations, right? We're more you know, talking about, like, I feel like deflated footballs. They have regulations now with bats. But the idea that Albert Pujols can go ahead and use this bat, and it's not cheating, but if I lend it to Martin Maldonado or anybody, Nolan Arenado, no matter who it is, well, that guy's not grandfathered in because he hadn't played since 2000, before 2010, which is the rule. I mean, what is that? I mean, are you kidding me? I said last night, it's like, you know, a lot of times a, a number will get retired, like in a league, and if you already were wearing the number, then you're grandfathered in, and you will wear the number until you retire with that team. But if you switch teams, you can't wear it again. And when you're done with that team, they will then have that number retired. But you can wear it because they say, okay, you're grandfathered in. Like, this is the stupidest thing. I, Albert Pujols can use the bat. Then anybody should be able to use the bat. But he didn't know what the hell he was doing. This isn't cheating. Shut the hell up. Seriously. People grow up. You want to beat the Astros? Beat the Astros. Go beat them in four games out of seven. You want to get pissed off that they didn't get you know, the, the shellacking you think that they deserved based on the cheating that they did, I get that too, all right? I'm with you. I get it. Then the immunity that they took for it, I get it. For the fact that it was worn by Cora and Beltron, but not the players, I get it. Or Hinch, but not the players, I get it. But this whole thing has nothing to do with that at all. I mean, please. Now, now it's a framer with the substances and Maldonado's doing this. I mean, come on, man. Let it, let it go. Now, you don't want to let it go if you played against them in 2017 and you're looking at that season and you're saying, hey, 2017 just didn't go the right way. That's fine. You don't want to let it go. You lost to or root for a team that lost to that team in 2017. I get it. But not with 2022. It got nothing to do with 2022. Enough. Uh, thanks to Mike Stanton for hopping on board. Uh, never enough. You could jump in on the channel on the way. Again, uh, guess-wise, tomorrow, Billy King, Mark Feinstein, Jim Duquette will all be here as we'll get ready for Game 3. I want to talk about uh, the Game 3 starters for a second. McCullers is a guy with a ton of experience. He's pitched Game 7s before. We know what he can do with that curveball. But, you know, he's a guy who's a really smart pitcher and knows how to be effective even when that fastball is having that wild nature that Mike Stanton talked about. We saw that in the Yankee game that he pitched last week. If you would have told me, if you go back, watch the beginning of that game, you watch the first couple of innings, you're thinking there's no way this dude is sitting there in the middle inning still in that game. And he found a way because he understands and works well with his catcher to get kind of, okay, what, what's the feel I'm getting on that slider, the change up the curveball, where the fastball not working, he's not pitching like a typical pitcher where he's going to get you ahead in the count and then drop it off the table like Valdez was doing yesterday with that curve. You're not going to do it that way. 
He might throw, we saw against the Yankees, he threw, what, 24 straight, 27, whatever it was, straight curveballs in a game against them, speaking of 2017, back in, in that ALCS, right? So he'd been pitching this way his whole career. On the other side, Noah Syndergaard, a totally different pitcher than he used to be. This is not the Thor that would come out and dominate you. This is not the Thor that threw over the head of Alcides Escobar and said, come meet me 60 feet, six inches. This is not that guy. Whether you liked him or you hated him, if you're a Met fan or in New York or, or whether he's you know, playing against you when he's in New York, you know, he had the brash and, and you know, the, the motion and the balls and all this other kind of stuff. And it was like, okay, the dark night, kind of a light night, but this guy, the real superhero, I mean, that's the way he pitched. That's not the same guy anymore after these injuries. And he's certainly been humbled, right? Now, you wonder, because I, I am surprised. I, obviously, with Suarez in the game, you know, it might have taken a little bit away from what he could do in a game three. But with all the bullpen rested and the idea of keeping momentum, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I stand on the other side of where Mike Stanton was. And, uh, you know, it's hard to say I disagree because I'm not there. And I don't know necessarily the conversations with Caleb Cotham, the, the pitching coach, and Suarez. I, you know, obviously, I, I'm not, not in those and neither are you. But I'll tell you at face value from the outside that I disagree with it. Here's why. When you look at Rob Thompson, the way he managed game one, go back to the interview that he did in the middle innings when he's in the dugout. And they asked him, why is Alvarado sitting here in a fifth inning of this game? And what did he say? We just tied the game after being down 5 nothing. Got all that momentum. I want to make sure we keep it right here. Get our hitters back out there. That's feel, people. That stuff gets your goosebumps going if you understand how you need to manage in a big spot in sports. That is what it's all about, all right? So he got to have that momentum, and he's going to keep it, and he's going to put Alvarez in the game, even though he's not normally supposed to be in a fifth inning, right? Well, now you're at 1-1 in a series where you just lost the game in game two. Wheeler didn't pitch well. You went down early. You got punched in the face, and this time you couldn't punch back. Right. You couldn't get off the mat and get it done. I'm not saying they gave up, but you lost. Right. Five one. And now you're sitting there on the flight. And at the second you get to Philadelphia and Citizens Bank Park in that building, your momentum has flipped back your way because you're one one in a series. You stole one on the road or took one or one. You took the home field advantage back, however you want to play it mentally. And now you're back in that spot where we're ahead. Look at our crowd behind us. We're five and on the postseason at home. Nobody could beat us here. This is bananas. You had reporters. I don't know if you saw this on social media. They have reporters in Philly talking about one guy, and this, this went viral. One guy in some report on some, maybe it was local Fox in Philly or somewhere, <clears throat> compared the the atmosphere in Houston to being at like his his in laws' house for dinner or something like that. I mean, just talk, basically, you know, I mean, you want to talk about talking trash about how garbage the place where they used to have the garbage cans was in terms of mentality, because in Philly, there ain't nothing like that right now. You got that at game one each sitting there going home in game three. And that's why I'm putting Ranger Suarez out there on the mound, because I know that he's calm, cool, collected. I know what I'm getting. I know who he's been. He just sat there in, in a game. You know, look, no business, not a reliever anymore being in striking out Alvarez who had sat there and had two doubles in the only two appearances against them. That's a big spot that he's in in the middle of game one. I feel he pitched a game one two weeks ago against the Braves. I like all of that, right? Thor had to give me an inning, had to make a spot start and get me through two plus, almost three, about a week and a half ago. They have way different feels. Suarez, all year been brilliant, ERA just over three. He terrific as a number three guy in your staff for sure. I'm going Suarez because I got a day off. I got rested bullpen arms now so I can circle you back with Alvarado in the middle innings again like I did game one, which was my recipe. And look, that's in a game where Nola gave up five runs. You figure Suarez, certainly based on the way he's pitched, not going to do that. He's not giving you a feast or famine. He's a keep you in a game, going to sit there in the sixth inning. And you may be down 3 nothing, 3-1, but it's 3, not 5. And you're not going to get blitzed. I'm sitting there and I'm re-racking Alvarado. I'm re-racking everything I got with uh, Eflin and Dominguez and Robertson. And I'm going four or five innings with those guys if I have to. Even if Suarez only gets me four and two-thirds, I'm taking that crowd in a 1-1 spot in that series. And I'm doing exactly what he did in a 5-5 game in the middle innings of game one. And that's why, for me, Suarez will be starting game three. So I'm surprised. 
surprised. But again, not in the conversations in terms of yeah, you know, how much that took out of him. Forget how many pitches people he threw in game one. It's warming up. It's getting up in the paint. You know, all the things that Smoltz was talking about in the broadcast. But you know, it's it's the max effort. It's the the stress of that spot in an at-bat like that against an Alvarez, all those sorts of things. And these guys know their pitchers and their humans better than we do from the outside. I remember sitting there going back with some at the Red Sox, you know, a couple of days ago with Alex. I remember you know, David Price you know, sitting there in a, in a bullpen in one game. The idea that he was going to go and pitch a couple of days later and go start a, you know, a, a must-win all the marbles season-ending game with the track record David Price had especially was crazy. But, you know, AC knew his guy. The team trusted him. They knew how badly he wanted that ball, and they knew he was embracing that moment. So they know better than we do, but I'm surprised that Suarez is not getting game three because of everything I just said with that momentum. I'm not letting myself go down 2-1. I'm not looking at it like it's 1-1 versus 0-2. I can't be that way. I wouldn't do that. He'd be out there for me. Even if you told me Suarez, because he went out there in game one, could only go four or five innings, he'd still be starting game three for me. Then I'm going to the bullpen. I'm taking it to the house, and I'm taking strangle back of my crowd of an even series of a McCullers who I think I can hit, and I think they can, right? I think you can get him in a spot where you're forcing him to throw a fastball he don't want, and in that park, going to get hit hard. I wouldn't be surprised. I said this when we chatted with Mike Stanton. You can expect the starters in game four to be better than the starters you're going to get in game three in the performance. I think game three is going to put you in a bullpen game where I think both guys are going to get hit. I think Thor will be out earlier than Lance. And in game four, I wouldn't be surprised if he got six each with only a couple of runs from Suarez and Javier. That's sitting here where we sit now on the off day looking into game three and four. So I'm a little bit surprised by that with the Suarez thing. But for Philly, they did what they need to do. They got in the door, got one win, got out. That's the way it is. Now you get back to home where you're sitting there with five straight wins in the postseason feeling pretty confident. The Bryson stop thing, to go back to that for a second, if you're just joining us. Look, Rob Thompson and Dusty Baker both done tremendous jobs. No matter what happens when you coach, you manage in a postseason, in an NCAA tournament, in an NBA Finals, in a playoffs, in a Super Bowl, it doesn't matter. The NBA Finals, wherever you want to go, and I don't care what sport you root for, right? Hockey and the Stanley Cup playoffs, when you're changing goalies and you're not supposed to, or whatever the heck it is, everything you do is magnified. Every single damn thing you do is going to be that way. And it's easier for us sitting here to do it than it is for those guys. And I get that. I understand that. But Bryson Stott, not sitting for me. The at-bats that we saw, and you got a 10-pitch AB with Verlander, you got a 10-pitch at-bat, cold off the bench yesterday. Not getting on in Mundo Sosa. Again, if you missed it when I chatted about with Mike Stanton, that play from Reese Hoskins, that, that is a May 8th, Makeable play that better be a postseason team trying to win a World Series makeable play. And I mean an easy play. That is not a great throw. It wasn't up in the air, but you are putting pressure on your guys. If you go to the next inning, Sosa had to play in the ground ball where he threw it as high as you're going to, and wasn't it wasn't too high. But I mean, you could tell they're trying with Reese Hoskins because he's so bad at picking the ball to literally with his huge frame sit there and and what is he, six four, whatever he is, and and throw up at that level. Right? I mean, Anthony Rizzo, you know, Freddie Freeman, Mark Teixeira back in the day, Keith Hernandez, Adrian Gonzalez, just naming a bunch of guys. You're not thinking Matt Olson. You're not thinking about any of that stuff. Those guys are picking that for you. John Olrude, they're picking that for you. You know, Don Mattingly, you know, you're not getting, I name every first baseman I've ever seen now, but you're not, you're not getting that. Reese Hoskins, you got to sit there and make a perfect throw. Better be up here because he even got to lean down and you're worried. So I'm not telling you that's because of Sosa's throw. Please understand. And his ABs weren't terrible. It has nothing to do with that. And he's been okay since, and, and you know, been productive and done some good things since he came over from St. Louis at the deadline. It's about the fact Bryson Stott looks like he's ready to be here. Bryson Stott looks like he's ready to play. Bryson Stott looks like he's getting better round to round in a postseason. I don't care what the numbers show. If you're watching these ABs, he in those ABs. He's in the moment. He's embracing it. That dude playing every day for me. And when Valdez turns around because I feel like going to win this series, they better see him again. It better be long enough. And they go ahead and see Valdez again. Stop getting the start for me. And I wouldn't have had Verling in the, Verling in the outfield either. Yeah, look, this isn't a guy who, you know, has had a huge track record of success. Wasn't really that good offensively this year, even though he was better late. Hasn't played much. And when you're not in these moments and you're not feeling these moments and you get a start, you're nervous. And it could be the smallest thing, but that's what happened to Veerling when he got caught flat-footed and Alvarez is getting third base on a place where you never should be able to tag up. That, unless you're sitting there and you're Terrence Gore, 
You, you're not do. You, you want to tell me Acuna's tagging up there, right? You, you want to tell me somebody Speedy's doing it there? That's one thing. Yeah, Alvarez could run, but there's no way he's tagging up on that spot if Veerling's not caught flat-footed. You know why he's caught flat-footed? Not making excuses for him. But this dude is sitting there with, with wide eyes, a young kid. Holy crap, I'm starting a World Series game. Well, Marsh seems like nothing affects him even playing every day. He in the game for me. I don't care if it's lefties, righties, Venditti. I don't care. I am Marsh and Stott. This offense, when you got an offense that has performed as highly as they have and, and at such a high level in production and all of that, no, not happening for me. And it's not, look, it's not like these guys are, you know, Veerling and Sosa not, you know, going ahead winning gold gloves tomorrow. So it's not like you're sitting there and you're putting in, you know, some dominant field that it's like, oh, well, I can't wait till we rush that guy in the game. You know, you've already had to get defense like Castellanos with the diving catch in the ninth inning of game one. And the guys, you don't think you're going to get it. Bohm, who's made a couple of nice plays in this series, one diving grab yesterday, and certainly the play where he had to come in on it, made the nice throw in one hop, which Hoskins did get in this case in game one. You don't have dynamic defense, but I want Stott in the game, and I'm sitting there and I'm going with the outfield that I had because at least I got a guy in center who's been playing it every day. I'm not, you know, you want to rush Veerling in there for Schwarber in some of those spots, that's fine. I mean, you can make a case that you know, Schwarber and Castellanos kind of been similar in terms of the outfield, despite what Nick's done with now two really nice catches over the last couple of weeks in the postseason. But I, I, I'm not seeing either of those guys if it's me, if it turns around again in the series. I want Stott out there. But you're going to get Thor. You're going to get Lance McCullers. You're going to get game three. And we're 1-1. Now, I said before the series, gut said Phillies in six. My brain said Astros in six. I still think six is the number. I don't know whether or not the brain's going to beat the gut, whether it's going to be, uh, you know, dad bod or, or dad brain. But either way, I, I think six is going to be the number. That game three is crucial. When you're in a 1-1 series, go look at the numbers. I mean, especially Philly with what they've done at home. If the Astros can go in and pick it, and it's why again for me, and I'm not in the conversation. So if Suarez not available for some reason, you're clearly off the board, right? But if it's, hey, look, he threw the other day and probably can't go as deep, not enough for me. I'm going four and two-thirds with him, taking my pen and all the arms I want to get that two-to-one lead and get that first one at home to continue that crowd right where it's been. I'm not letting Thor give up a three-run home run to Alex Bregman in a first inning, and all of a sudden, now the Astros had a 5 nothing lead that they blew in game one, then beat me 5-1, and now they're up again. Now all of a sudden, it looks like outside of Verlander blowing it and us coming back, they kind of been out playing us and beating us up now for three games. I don't want any of that story if it's me. Uh, if it's me, and it will be, I'll be back here tomorrow at noon Eastern time. You could join me live. We've got Jim Duquette coming on the show tomorrow. Billy King will be here. Huge Phillies fan and, of course, a longtime president of the uh, Sixers and a guy who knows a thing or two about winning. We'll talk to him about what he's seeing. He's had a lot of fun. I've been following on Twitter. And I texted him the other day. I was like, i got to grab you on. So we'll have some fun with him. Also, Mark Feinstein will be here. He's covering the series for MLB.com and MLB Network. Gary Sheffield, I'll reunite with him. Uh, back in uh, on Tuesday and talk about all sorts of things, including the run that Bryce Harper has had. Although a couple of spots yesterday, would be a chance to make some noise and do some damage, made some outs instead. So the Astros in those margins with Harper, so far so good. They look close with Schorber. One barely foul, then the other one looked like the roof uh, was open again, if you will, in Houston for Kyle Tucker to reach up and make the catch. We're 1-1 heading into game three. Stay with me at Casey Stern on Twitter. My thanks to Mike Stanton for joining us. Everybody who puts it together and as always, mostly two places. One, all of you for the support of the Unfiltered Revolution and October Unfiltered. And speaking of support, for the folks who help make it possible, as we as always on Unfiltered and October Unfiltered are presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.